Before we begin, a disclaimer. Everything I say in this episode is not with the intent of attacking anyone or to put people in a position of aggressive compromise. I am simply trying to help myself come to terms with things, saying it out loud. If you take it too harshly, I apologize if it caused you any offense or any grief. That being said, brace yourself. This is PBE Daily Early Mornings and Late Night Podcast and my name is Point Banky Vumbi. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to listen to this episode and I know it started with a disclaimer and I would like to alleviate any fears that you may have of me trying to go a little bit too aggressive on something that would end up leading to, well let's just say, a concern that is the reason why I'm actually making this episode. I watched a couple of clips from interviews that the great Joe Rogan has done and it was an interview he was doing with I think it was his second interview with Kevin Hart and from the interview there was moments where Kevin Hart was talking about how much he he finds uh, to use his word he finds cancel culture to be stupid and he finds this ready readiness for people to uh, get rid of certain individuals in society a bit too nonsensical for lack of a better way to put it and i'm again i'm I'm fielding this argument based upon something i've noticed that it's led me to have more concerns than anything else and on certain occasions when i was making uh, when i make this podcast and when i was considering how i could tackle this particular episode i wanted to not make things worse by my utterances i wanted to not make myself come off as a guy who feels like holier than thou or i'm above everybody else and i am the voice of wisdom and the voice of reason and those are positions i do not want to have on a previous episode on this podcast i actually mentioned my whole understanding and my observation or my current understanding and based on the observations i've made up until this point of how it's easier for society or the everyday person you and i to rush to cancel or to mock or to insult or to get rid of or to question the judgment of a celebrity the judgment of a a person who's been perceived as a social superstar and when you take into consideration the fact that it kind of gives you a degree of absolving yourself or claiming innocence in that which is done. Take, for example, how I think I mentioned earlier on this podcast on some other episodes before that there's a way some characters in the American uh, lexicon of presenters, social lights, and uh, hosts of shows, including, including podcasts, how sometimes they absolve themselves of responsibility by just simply saying at the end of making a complete rant uh, about a topic they ended by saying like hey man but that's just my thoughts or hey i was just being funny at that time i was i was making fun of the situation but on a lighter note like i i take all that into account and i do applaud the people who actually consciously decide to make things become addressed with flagrancy i made an episode that touched on that and i also do feel that we have taken certain liberties to heart and we haven't really noticed what's really happening i'm basing this on how 
currently in the world, the way we deal with things, and the way we rush to conclusions. To the music world, it's the way a person could release an album today, and by the time it reaches noon, we've already concluded if it's a hit or not. It's watered down or washed down the quality of music in regards to how best it can be consumed. And the washing down, to be honest, depends on the cookie cutter way people have been making albums for the sole purpose of making them jingles that you easily access. And as a rap fan, uh, it kind of gets sad when you realize that the third verse was completely gotten rid of because it doesn't really serve the algorithms that are are being used to calculate how regular spins are supposed to be now i've said a sentence right now which i really don't know how said algorithm functions and i'm sure it'll come a point when i'll have to go deep into it because i intend to make music again and I'm, i'm curious to actually make my first album i've mentioned it time and again and i haven't jumped into making the execution of it so i'd like to thank the bootcamp click for making music that makes me get inspired and i want to thank the boom bap click from kenya from giving me an idea a couple of days back of how i could best whip myself back into shape as far as getting my rhyme skills back up i haven't performed i haven't freestyled in a very very long time and i think the best way for me to actually get into the zone of doing that which is necessary is to put practice in play same way I put practice in play as far as making this podcast happen. It makes sure that by the time Sunday hits, I'm able to make a top-notch show on radio and television. And I think to add to the lexicon of workouts I'm doing, including the fact that I've recently taken up yoga to help me realize the fact that the reason I was having a hard time sitting for long hours is I'm not giving enough practice to my prostate. Yep, an old man just said he has problems making sure he stretches out his prostate. Gentlemen, as you grow into your 30s, please learn to do that. Just stretch everything out to make sure you're able to sit comfortably and push as many hours as possible to get the work done. And away from that rabbit hole I've just jumped into, I noticed that there is something we're unconsciously doing and we need to be very wary of it. On countless occasions, I've mentioned the French Revolution in this podcast on at least one podcast episode i've used the image of maximilian robespierre who was one of the architects of the french revolution which led to that which we now call a presidency and a a democratic uh government in that has uh elected officials and a head of state so even he didn't get it right in regards to how to best deal with the revolution and even the united states in the birth of what later became what we call a presidency and a presidential term even they didn't get it right the first time around uh the romans who initially said that they want kings they want to have two leaders uh two consuls and all that and when you look at all those things i know i've used the political angle but i'm using the political angle to best uh, lead up to that which is our current situation when i started making this chain of episodes called the wrong impression what i was really trying to put within even the statement was the impressionist artists have always been the artists who I sometimes didn't really get why they did things the way they did them and when I started this chain of episodes I was better informed in the fact that by them rebelling it made it possible for other art forms to grow and I'm certain that at some point that which was uh, a movement to give more artists access that 
artists who are denied the ability to actually showcase their work in the most affluent of places because certain lecturers didn't say or certain art critics didn't give them access. I've experienced these kind of things in that a person could end up claiming the value of art based upon their personal tastes and then you find out that those personal tastes could be bought and could be curtailed to work in favor of somebody else. So if even truth is not actual truth, if even critique is not actual critique, it leads to then us, the consumers, to not really get the value for our money that we are supposed to have. In my hip-hop uh, fandom, there was a time when a magazine called The Source Magazine, if you actually got five mics in a Source Magazine, it validated the album you created. But then it reached a point where you could buy the five mic status and be given props for having an album that was actually subpar and have them become albums that were considered classics but didn't have the longevity required and when you make everything be validated based upon a hit system and not based upon the craft but just your liking of a personality or an individual it ends up costing you that which is the quality of growth that was required impressionist artists wanted to break away from the traditional drawing styles and traditional drawing styles are what was considered the norm initially so the Renaissance and the follow-up of the Renaissance art styles were then called historical art in that it would be art that de depicts aristocrats, religion and stuff like that, imaginative pieces, not so much. And the Impressionists, what they gave the world, the great gift they gave the world, was the ability for you to actually look at a painting and see the day in the life in that specific period. And even though they, they broke away from having certain brush strokes being polished and made very clean and blended properly by looking at the work from a distance you could actually get the impression of say for example a painting of a blizzard and how the lake or river has started to have ice on the surface and you could see how the branches and the trees would be reflected on the ice thereafter and even thanks to impressionists we're able to know how to paint the way plants look immediately reflected in the water and even give respect to perspective and how cities used to look when some of the most beautiful impressionist paintings that I've, I've seen growing up were paintings of uh, individuals who've shown a rainy surface and you could see the reflection of the vehicles, the motor vehicles of that time and how they looked on the road. And sometimes it inspires me to want to make a book like, say, uh, <sighs> try to pick the period of Jack the Ripper and stuff like that. And these kind of stories and these kind of visuals were beautiful to see because it kind of best implied how to best go forward. And I think that same mentality that the Impressionists had ended up touching not just the visual artists, but touched the poets, the, the authors of, 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 of books and the writers of television and entertainment thereafter so breaking away from the mold that was the facts that existed before ended up giving a freedom that an artist could do right or wrong and eventually find their own path to immortality as far as making work worth speaking about for years and years and years and i boiled this all down and i ruled all this material to lead up to the current age we're living in today where we have even more access to information. And I know I say too much, and I'm, I, it's a soapbox I've been standing on for so long, where you have the whole world in your hand in regards to the mobile phone that's in your pocket or in your palm 
how you're actually listening to this episode. Yet sometimes we're so scared of diving into the phone to find information because sadly, even in that phone, because since we all have access to platforms that are freely granted to us, any person's take on how the world is or how a specific topic is and any person's chosen conclusion, depending on how people perceive the, the message being given, that person could actually dictate what is considered success, failure, what's considered truth, or falsehoods. We've seen this work in the purpose of revolutions because in certain terms, like take, take it again to how I began this by talking about the French Revolution. It is claimed that the statement by Marie Antoinette of let them eat cake, where the people were asking for bread and she said, let them eat cake. It is alleged that she never said it. But because everybody's blood pressure was so high, it was taken as biblical truth and ended up working in favor of that which was the revolution thereafter. In many cases, when I think about revolutionaries, sometimes I get drawn and thrown back to a certain documentary piece I saw of uh, a gentleman who was documenting the Tahirian Square uh, revolution in Egypt to get rid of Hasni Mubarak back in 2011. And it followed the some of the activists, young people in, in campus and young people in Egypt who really wanted to play a part in that which is the making of the nation. It's always fascinating and beautiful to me to know that most of the people who go and march into the streets are kids in campus and the first rising middle class. For the French Revolution, it was the intellectual class that was finally rising from the lower ranks of uh, what was considered a lifestyle and what was considered ranking in society because you had this whole system that claimed that you were only supposed to be classified to a certain line and you could never surpass that class. And that classism ended up to turning into people wanting to break that mold because by telling a person what their limitations are, you dictate how far they could actually aspire or further their greater knowledge. When you tell a person that all they're supposed to do is study in order for them to get into a position of employment and not to innovate that which is the potential of them making successes in industrialized existence, it ends up becoming something that you call into question again because think about it how in most cases the romanticized idea of the industrial entrepreneur of the 2000s and the 90s and the 80s is a person who was a dropout. But we don't mention the fact that the actual dropout only dropped out because they were lucky enough to be in access of the field they wanted to be a part of. A Bill Gates wouldn't exist if there was no access to an IBM computer close by and stuff like that. And I thank authors like Malcolm Gladwell for putting that into perspective. But now I lead that into that which is the main reason I'm making this episode. I feel the weaponization of tweets, cancel culture, Kenyans on Twitter, and all these avenues to create a trend and to speak to certain topics. I feel it eats its own children in this sense. We would like to have a moral high ground that better serves the society we would like to mold. It's at a drop of a hat that a person could put up a tweet 
and that tweet could go viral thanks to it being retweeted and given likes and shared outside of one social platform into another. Twitter is considered one of the first places you actually get information that would lead you to eventually having actual numbers of telling you what kind of traction you've created worldwide. So sometimes sensationalization of things that could be complete falsehoods becomes the currency. And as a result, the addiction to getting that kind of movement happening ends up weaponizing for the wrong reasons. I'm certain that there have been victims of this who had noble intentions. The one thing I will not take away from the power of that traction that is created is when there's people who it's documented and you have facts behind the fact that they did things wrong and they caused harm and they brought down people who are truly just trying to live a happy and successful life. When those particular individuals are brought down, I am grateful. I am happy that those movements exist. What I fear or what I worry about is when those very same tools are used to then reach a point of censoring each other and policing each other because that's what it's gotten to. I've reached a point personally where sometimes I don't indulge in threads on, on, on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, like comment sections and stuff like that, because I feel it is counter to that which is supposed to be a discussion or a conversation. If all I cared about was a headline of a situation, then I wouldn't have the context or I wouldn't have the information to better serve that which is the agenda forward and sometimes there really isn't an agenda in the first place it's just people hanging out here's the scary thing about being easily accessible to social media by having it right in your pocket sometimes the impulse you have as a human being and the feelings you have at a specific time you will put those feelings without really running them through your whole spectrum of thoughts and emotional uh understandings and you put that into the world but since it's gained traction you're now too scared to get rid of it or to detract it because it's now in the world and on top of that there's people whose whole existence i'm talking from trolls to people who create new sensations based upon trending topics the people who the moment you put up a tweet or the moment you put up a post they take a screenshot of that so you can't detract the situation. There are whole businesses that have been created based upon taking screenshots of people's most rawest thoughts. Our raw thoughts are what we tweet. And in many cases, when you look at how the world functions since time immemorial, most people have ended up failing in making the world they want to have because they're too quick to police each other. The one thing the Impressionist period started having a problem with and what caused the initial founding fathers and mothers of the Impressionist period to separate and distance themselves from each other was one of the founders chose to elect himself the supreme or the determining de facto leader of that which is the movement. So he gets to dictate the taste buds of the rest of the crew or, or what the audience is supposed to take. And in search of successes, they'd end up making this mistake of starting to tell each other what they can or cannot paint, how they can and cannot paint, and who they can and cannot sell to. You're trying to earn a living and you're angry at someone because he's painting in a style that you 
you all want to move in, but you're angry at him because he's trying to infiltrate or trying to break the boundaries that exist in the spaces where you weren't being given access to before. You'd expect that having it reach the spaces where you are told you are not worthy of selling your art. You'd be happy because it finally means that there's an acceptance by the world. But we hold on to the fight that was before. We romanticize the fight itself because that fight ends up being more valuable than the solution that is being sought. You end up policing your peers and as a result, stopping that which was potential future growth. Take into consideration that art example I've used, that allegory of art I've used, and try put it in perspective of the kind of material we'd like to share with each other, be it on social networks or in the different spheres of influence we have based upon the passions that we have. I can't sit quiet and say we've had it all figured out or we've got it all figured out. I'd just like us all to take into consideration the fact that the excesses to which we want to rush into cancel culture, want to rush into censorship of whatever person wants to speak because it looks good and it looks humorous or it comes off funny, that that which we do ends up making us worse than making us better. We hate it when we're told by adults or people of authority what we can and cannot do. How does it feel then when we start telling each other what we can and cannot do, say, or act upon? If we take those into consideration, have we not put ourselves in a catch-22? Because the catch-22 itself is, I want to be popular because of it. Everybody has access to potential popularity, celebrity, and influence. The compromises that we'll make to actually make sure we stay in those spaces and limelights are concerns. It would be very easy to actually throw me into that, uh, throw me under that bus as well. I take forever to write books because I would like my books to have an outliving quality to them. I know that there are people who would like to work with me because they feel if we strike while the iron is hot or if we actually release material in a time when a specific, a specific type of material is trendy, we'll end up joining the wave of cash that's being made. Yet sometimes the excuse I give myself is I'd like to outlive and outswing the next man in having more than one thing that we create and have it have the quality that surpasses even the next man. To break the boundaries and to break that which is considered the limitations that we've had, and limitations are put in quotes, it's best for us to be very, very conscious and certain of what angle we want to take in that regard or in the sense of this is it and we're going to go all the way full throttle. My whole argument in this whole thing is please consider the fact that the immortality of your words being saved in servers will be there with you forever. The self-censorship and the whole idea of cancel culture and the prevalence of how cool it feels to most people is something we're doing in our 20s. Countless times I've heard podcasts and I've seen TV shows where people talk about how somebody did certain mistakes in their 20s. And the first thing people who are older say is, do you remember your 20s? Do you remember how immature you were because you were trying to be an adult at that time? Now imagine weaponizing that particular period in your 20s and wanting to be answerable to it in the future in a contextual way. There's a person who, I think, I, I don't know if I mentioned him on this podcast, but there was an individual who, when he was 19 years old, he wrote a book that was an anti-establishment book for an anarchist. 
He put the book out when he was 19 years old. The book became the go-to reading for any anarchist thereafter. Not the context of what he wanted the anarchy to be about, but just simply how to make the anarchy come to life. It's something that's haunted his career ever since. Marinate on that. And whatever solution you choose, I hope it comes off with something that actually betters the world around you, above and beyond. So until next time, consciously, be Caesar, or be nothing at all. Take great care of yourselves. Again, apologies if this came out too harsh, but somebody had to say something, just to add into the potential things we could discuss in this regard. Take great care of yourselves until next time. Uno. Thank you.